Welcome to the Hairdryer Treatment Podcast, powered by Kevin Grogan Soccer, Soccer Coffee and much more. Welcome to the show this week. We have a great interview with Zach Goss coming up. He talks about high school soccer, being a vegan and playing in the CSL for the New York Shamrocks, a documentary he was involved in um, back when he was with the Brooklyn Knights. It's really, really interesting. Um, For now, though, what a week of soccer. I mean, Liverpool 3-0 down against Barcelona and then winning the game 4-3 probably has to go down as one of the greatest nights in European football. Um, You know, it was just absolutely mind-blowing. And then the next day, obviously, Tottenham had a mountain to climb and um, climbed it and um, went through. It's just a really uh, great story, um, both of the games, and uh, it creates a great um, final now coming up between Liverpool and Tottenham, really, really interesting. So we're going to play a small bit of audio of some of the amazing reactions around the world for both of those games, and then we will go directly into the interview. Thank you. Trying to win a corner, but Mill has been pushed to the ground. Yes! 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 The Hairdryer Treatment Podcast is proudly sponsored by Rezzle. Rezzle is the market-leading, academically validated VR training and cognitive development tool for elite football and is already installed at world-leading clubs. Rezzle.com Zach, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good, Kevin. How are you? So, Zach, tell us a bit about where you grew up. Sure. Um, so I grew up uh, in Suffolk County on Long Island. Um, there's been a big soccer community on Long Island for a very long time. Uh, and I was very fortunate to have two really supportive parents that were always you know, pushing me to try and play at the highest level that I could and were very willing to uh, make those long drives, you know, uh, an hour long over to, you know, another club team that was, you know, playing at a higher level. Um, You know, I think uh, towards the end of my like youth career, you know, I might've played on three different teams. Uh, My parents were always willing to drive me there just so, you know, that I could be playing at the highest level uh, and so that I could be, you know, being, get coached and trained by, you know, the best coaches that were in the area. It, it is a big thing over here. I always explain to people in Europe that the, the amount of commitment the parents give in terms of traveling to games, traveling to training sessions, there's a big kind of tournament-based vibe over here at youth soccer. It's a massive commitment for the parents. Absolutely. I mean, I feel like my parents would have sent, and my sister too, as a result, would give up our, you know, our, our breaks from school uh, to drive you know, out of state to a tournament wherever my team was playing. Uh, and I know we would all, you know, they got a minivan just for that reason, you know, to keep us occupied and, you know, keep us uh, comfortable while we were traveling, you know, four or five hours to another state uh, just to, you know, play in a weekend tournament. 
Yeah, I've always found that amazing. And it's probably great for, you know, in terms of like family bonding and things like that. I more grew up in a culture where it was more the coach would pick you up and drop you home because your parents were always busy doing other stuff. And, and I think I do like that element over here in some ways that the parents are involved like that. But then just to kind of talk about the kind of bad side of that and not directly talking about your parents, but there is a lot of issues with parents getting too involved in the kids' development. Do you see that over here? Definitely. I think, uh, you know, I, I just read a, a, a good coaching book about all these different types of parents that are getting involved with their kids where, you know, there's a type of parent that builds their kid up, uh, but at the same time, you know, will be the first one to tear them back down. Uh, there's the parents know everything about the sport because they were an athlete at one point and, you know, they, they think they know everything. Um, and, it, it's unfortunate, you know, when it takes that bad turn, but, um, you know, like I said, like, you know, you were saying, you know, parents can really be a really positive, uh, uh, resource, but, you know, it can take a bad turn when, uh, you know, the parents get over-involved or just, uh, think they want to do every and everything or, uh, try to do everything. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes the expectations are a bit unrealistic. Now, just from your own kind of playing side, you, you played travel and you went to Siena College, I believe. What was that experience like, the college life? Uh, <clears throat> because you're, it's really the first time uh, that you're away from home. Uh, I, you know, Siena's up near Albany. So, you know, I was a good three hours away from my house on Long Island. So it was an awesome experience where, you know, you're going to school, uh, but at the same time, you know, you're playing for your school and you are, you know, you represent them. It, it's, it's your job. Other, obviously, you know, getting good grades is your, your other job and what you're uh, being paid for, paid to do there as well. But um, it's, it, it's an awesome experience because you, you live with your teammates um, and it's, Probably the closest thing to being a you know a professional uh, in the U.S. Uh, before before you actually make that turn. Yeah, and obviously the facilities then are second to none in college. I've talked about that before on the show. Now you went on and and had a great run with um, the PDL. Uh, Club Brooklyn Knights and there was a fantastic documentary made about that tell me first about how you got into the Brooklyn Knights and, and for our European listeners that is like you know on the professional pyramid how did that come about and then talk a bit about the documentary um, so the Brooklyn Knights was um, <clears throat> it was a, an amazing experience actually uh, but it was very roundabout how I ended up there um, I after, after I graduated from college, I went and did a combine uh, down in Florida. I think it was called the InfoSport Combine. And, you know, I had a few offers from some USL teams to come and trial with them. And I did go. I think I, I went on with Harrisburg City Islanders, Pittsburgh Riverhounds, uh, Charlotte Eagles. And, you know, so I got that bit of a taste where I felt like I was just there to try and turn, you know, try and make it as a professional. Uh, but it nothing was really, you know, working out. Um, so, so at this point, Zach, you were trying to make it obviously as a professional, but you had your degree already done, correct? So you had something to fall back on just in case that didn't work. Yes, definitely. Um, so, you know, I was trying to make it, uh, as a pro, but, um, had <clears throat> ultimately tried out for the Brooklyn Knights, which was what I was saying before. And they, uh, <clears throat> 
they signed me, uh, which was fantastic. Uh, and like you said, you know, that is part of the, the professional pyramid in the United States. So uh, it was a really cool opportunity in my third year playing for them. Uh, we had a film director uh, from NYU Film School come in and kind of follow the team around for the season. Uh, he wanted to he was a huge soccer fan and he wanted to highlight the uh, amount of talent that is in New York City itself and all of the guys trying to, you know, make it professionally and, you know, kind of highlight what of the, the, the sacrifices that we make uh, to try and get there. Uh, so it was really cool. It was excellent. Uh, the, it came out uh, a few years ago. It's on YouTube now. It's called Going Pro American Soccer. Um, and what the best part is the director himself actually got a job with the U.S. Soccer Federation following, uh, you know, that documentary. So at least, uh, you know, he made it, even though I didn't. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've watched the documentary. It's fantastic. And I would recommend anyone to go and watch it. It's on YouTube, as you said, Go and Pro American Soccer. And it's a great insight into kind of young soccer players here who are very, very talented, yourself included, just trying to make it. And it's a, it's a tough thing to do over here because it's a different structure. And there's probably not as much as a pathway as there is maybe in Europe. But it's, it's a really, really interesting um, documentary worth watching. So, I mean, you move on from there and, and you, you start playing in the Long Island League. You kind of get into the workforce and then the CSL. First of all, talk a bit about what you do as, as a day job. So I, I'm actually, I'm a teacher now. I'm a special education teacher on Long Island uh, in a public school district. But uh, before that, I, you know, while I was trying to play professionally, I actually got a job at a consulting firm in Manhattan uh, and because it had a very uh, salesy nature to it, my hours were very flexible. So I was able to, you know, make those trips to those trials and, you know, get to trainings on time. Um, but, you know, right now uh, I'm an educator and, you know, I ultimately decided to go back and get my master's degree at night. And, you know, I would never uh, look back on that decision now. Um, it's amazing working in a school uh, and being with kids and it's afforded me, you know, a lot of opportunities that, you know, I never would have been able to have. And in terms of the kind of special ed side of things, can you talk a bit about that on a day to day and the people you interact with? Sure. So my school district, uh, is very big on, uh, inclusion classes where, uh, you know, we have regular ed learners in the room and special education learners in the room. Uh, two teachers in the room, one content specialist, which would be like a social studies teacher, and then one special ed teacher who's like a, a strategy specialist. Um, so because of the nature of that, uh, they usually try to have two teachers in the room. And, you know, a lot of my kids uh, in my school uh, don't necessarily have, you know, high uh you know, intellectual disabilities. Uh, a lot of them have emotional disabilities um, or they, they have some learning deficits, uh, you know, difficulty reading, difficulty writing. Uh, you see a lot of ADHD uh, students, um, but, you know, it's, it's a good mix and it's, it's definitely very challenging, but, you know, it's, it can be the most rewarding thing in the world at times. Yeah, brilliant. Sounds uh, very, very interesting. And and then, you know, you're you're now a young coach and you, you've done very well at high school level, which is a kind of e interesting dynamic. It's something I experienced when I first came to America. Um, talk 
to me a bit about the school you coach and the kind of how you found that and the success you had last year? Yep. So I coach at one of our, so our school district is the central high school district. We actually have uh, three traditional high schools and one uh, alternative school, which is actually where I teach. So teach, I mean, I coach at uh, Mepham high school, which is a, a pretty decent size, you know, school on Long Island, but um, it, it's actually really no, well known for its uh, f- American football program and its uh, wrestling program. So uh, when I got hired in the school district three years ago, uh, the athletic director actually called me to set, you know, he had seen my resume and saw my soccer background and he said, Hey, you know, I need a uh, soccer coach at Mepham. Would you be interested? And I called him back and I actually said, you know, are you asking me, you know, because, you know, I'm a first year teacher, you know, is that something that would normally be, you know, offered to a first year teacher? He said, absolutely not. But you're, you know, you're an older guy. Um, You're not, you know, the age of a typical first year teacher because teaching was a career change, like I mentioned before. Um, So they actually offered me the job and it was a little bit, of a whirlwind in the beginning because you really get no direction. You're kind of just thrown in and you have to figure out how you're going to build your program because you're then responsible for the varsity team and the JV team. Um, And no longer has have school sports become just a, a single season. You know, you have to offer trainings in the off season. You have to create a weightlifting program. You have to do fundraising. Um, There's a lot that goes into school, uh, especially the high school setting that it's stuff you you wouldn't even think about, um, you know, whether it be like, you know, competing for just getting time on the, the turf field, which is where we play our games, you know, ordering equipment, managing the kids, bullying in schools has become an issue, uh, you know, manage, making sure the kids all have a, a certain GPA so that way they're eligible to play. Um, and even there's just their behavior in school and providing them with uh, community service opportunities and just making that having them uh, make themselves known in the community and just to be create this positive environment for them. Yeah. You make a great point there in terms of like talking about what goes into it. And I think that's relevant to all levels of coaching and managing, you know, I'm obviously a coach myself, but I, I think some players don't realize what actually goes into it. They think maybe we just show up on the day, do a couple of sessions and pick a team on the weekend. Right. So it's it's very good that like you got that experience at a young age that you see that so much goes into it behind the scenes. And sometimes that's the best way to learn to just get thrown in the deep at the deep end. Now you obviously did very well. And I believe you got an award within um, the league you coached uh, for the high school. Could you explain a bit about that? It was a great achievement. Sure. So uh, this past season in the fall was my uh, third year coaching the boys. So, uh, you know, I had a lot of the, them now for three years I had a bunch of sophomores in my first year playing uh on the team so you know it was really my third year with a lot of these boys um so we we had a very good run we we ended up losing our first game of the year uh against one of our you know one of the other high schools in our district but we from then on we didn't lose a game until we um you know until we won the county championship so soccer uh itself was not a big uh sport at at Mepham. Uh, so these guys, re- you know, the, the program really got put on uh, the, the high school soccer map now um, because of it. Um, and, you know, we, we definitely 
change the game a bit. Uh, we had, a, you know, an All-American player this year, which is the first time in school history. Uh, and obviously winning the county championship is the first time in school history. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to be named uh, coach of the year in my conference. And then uh, it was really cool. Uh, Newsday, one of the local newspapers uh, on Long Island in New York City, uh, named me the uh, Nassau County Coach of the Year as well. Wow, brilliant, brilliant. And uh, I'd, I'd get in trouble if I didn't mention one of your assistant coaches that you used to, that I think you originally had in, Joey Zorbo. How, <laughs> how important was Joey in the, in the initial phases? I, I always say that, as a head coach, it's important to have someone you trust as an assistant coach. You know, it truly is. I, in my first year, I, I inherited an assistant from the uh, previous, uh, my predecessor, really. And it was very difficult. We're, we had a, a, he was much older than me and he was truly, a, you know, a lovely, lovely man. But, um, you know, he, he would kind of undermine me in certain ways. And it just made it look like we weren't on the same page. And, you know, he'd be speaking to parents candidly uh, about things that him and I would discuss. And, you know, that shouldn't actually be discussed with parents. So uh, year two, I made, you know, I made sure that I got somebody in there that I could truly trust. And that I thought would bring a lot to not only help me out, but truly help the kids. And uh, so that was, huge Joe you know having Joey in my second year and unfortunately I wasn't able to keep Joey for year three but you know one I met one of his very friends who he grew up with who was a huge asset and he played uh, at a very high level in college as well Uh, and you know he was a huge benefit for us this past season yeah, yeah, it's very important to have that that assistant you trust. And obviously, Joey fell in love, and we've never seen him since. But um, <laughs> but we're, he, happy uh, we're we're very happy for him, of course. Great guy. Um, so just talk a bit about um, you know, the academies over here, the USSF academies, and players not allowed to play high school if they're in an academy. Big debate. Do you agree with that or not agree with it? You know, this discussion comes up a lot now uh, because of these academies. And this didn't exist when I I was growing up. Uh, You know, we played Premier League and we played with our club, but we were always allowed to play with our high school teams. Um, You know, and it's a shame because the high school offers an opportunity for the kids to, you know, they get to play with the kids that they they grow up with and they live with. And it's like a social experience as well, too. Um, and they, they miss out on that. And I actually am aware of uh, a player within our, in my school, he plays for NYCFC. He's very tall. He'd probably be an, uh, a star as a goalkeeper for us. And unfortunately he doesn't even really play for the Academy team. He, he essentially rides the bench as a backup goalkeeper. So he is truly missing out, I think. Um, and, you know, anytime that people have asked me about, you know, whether or not they should play academy or not, I say, you know, it's truly a, a money making, you know, organization, uh, the academies. So they're in it to make money. Uh, and if you are getting quality coaching at your local club or whatever club that you've been playing at and you're continuing to develop, then that's honestly what you should stick with unless, you know, there's there's some opportunity to make it to another level but you know when it comes to athletics there's never any guarantees you don't know that 
Yeah, I, I agree. So, like, I mean, I think the, the the playing with your schoolmates, the camaraderie, um, you know, all that stuff is great in high school, and it does resemble the college life. Right. I think a lot of academies charge a lot of money, which is an issue, as you touched on. I think the bigger academies, um, you know, maybe the, your Red Bulls, NYCFCs, don't charge their players, which to me is a proper academy. Right. Um, but I think you've got to be playing as well. I, I think the answer is somewhere in the middle where maybe – academy players should be allowed to play high school but maybe you know we we have a look at how much they play and train so they're not there's not an overuse issue Absolutely. and also the the high school season is so short but I, i've seen it before where players have gone to high to their own high school games to watch because they're not allowed to play because they're in an academy and they're going to a game there's three four five hundred fans at the game that the camaraderie and the buzz is brilliant. And I think they're missing out on that to a certain degree. So I'd probably be on the same page as you with that. So moving into just a different topic that is just really intriguing with me, um, and not to talk too much about your personal life, but you are a vegan. And I just, I just find that very interesting. Can you talk to us a bit about that? What is it? Why you do it? Sure. Um, so I've been eating a vegan diet, I think for about two years now. Um, I mean, just to backtrack a little bit, um, you know, my parents never really brought uh, my sister and I up on, uh, you know, a, a meat diet. Um, they were very into, uh, you know, rescuing animals. So animals were always seen as, you know, um, not equals, but, you know, they were seen as, you know, life, life creatures. And we, you know, we wanted to take care of them. And I know that sounds like a little hippie-ish, but um, so we just truly never really grew up on meat. So, um, you know, as I went to college, though, and in high school, you know, I started to eat chicken and, you know, uh, poultry and fish. Uh, but at the, the more and more research I did um, and find, in learning about vegetarian athletes and ultimately vegan athletes, I was seeing that, you know, it's boosting their performance. And at the same time, it's, you know, good for the environment as well, because we, we now know that, you know, meat uh, and factory farming uh, is like the number one contributor to climate change. Um, so I'm seeing all these benef health benefits and it's good for the environment. Uh, and so I said to myself, you know, why not go for this? Uh, and initially it was a, you know, it was a struggle. Uh, I definitely enjoyed my slices of pizza. Um, but uh, as I found more and more substitutes and I realized, you know, I was recognizing all the benefits that I was actually feeling myself. Um, I, I what, what, would never what, go what, back. What the yeah. Uh, I mean, even in, you know, um, muscle injuries itself, I have not, you know, knock on, knock on wood, I have not had a muscle injury since I've switched to uh, eating a, a plant-based diet. Um, it's... Is that because there's less inflammation yes, yes, because so of the food? Yes, that's one of the things I was going to bring up is that, you know, meat actually increases inflammation. Um, so, and if you're, a, you know, an endurance athlete or any type of athlete, and your, you know, your performance is going to inflict inflammation onto your body. So, if you have are eating foods that are not exacerbating that, or actually speed up the recovery process, your performance is going to be better, and you'll be able to recover quicker. Um, and it's actually interesting. We're seeing more and more professional athletes do this. Um, like, for example, I think Chris Smalling announced that he's eating a, you know, a, you know, center back for Manchester United is eating a uh, plant-based diet. Um, 
just recently that Beyond Meat just went uh, public and there's tons and tons of professional athletes on there that are in, on their you know, board of investors. Uh, and I even think that there's a new documentary coming out, The Game Changers, um, all about all of these athletes, you know, kind of fighting against that um, stereotype that like vegans and plant-based people are all, you know, super skinny and they're all these like super like muscly, super athletes. Um, so I think the... And then what, in terms of the food there, Zach, like if you were just to name, you know, five or six kind of main kind of food types you would be eating? Yeah. Um, so obviously car- it's, a, it's a very heavy carb diet, which is perfect for an athlete, right? Because carbs are where you get your energy from. Uh, so, you know, for me, a typical, di- you know, my typical meals are, uh, you know, I make like a, a vegan shake in the morning with like a banana, almond milk, uh, Pro, uh, vegan protein powder, some chia seed, flaxseed. Uh, you know, I'll have a snack that consists of some n- nuts in the before lunch. Uh, lunch, you know, I'll have like a, a, a salad with, you know, beans in it uh, for some protein. Or, um, you know, might even have like, uh, you know, rice, rice and beans, like a make like a Mexican dish. Uh, and then in the evenings, you know, I'll have, you know, a, po- a pasta or, um, you know, some type of soup. Um, it, it is honestly, it has changed, uh, my outlook on the world and it makes me feel like not only am I treating myself right, but I'm, you know, doing right for the, uh, the planet as well. Wow. Yeah. Fascinating. Really, really interesting. So, uh, you know, then we'll roll forward to kind of the present, um, with the, you know, you're with the Shamrocks, obviously captain of the men's first team and you're. Uh, wife is the captain of the women's team. So talk about coming to the Shamrocks um, you know, and what, how it felt to play for the club and also the fact that your girlfriend at the time, now wife, was the, the captain of the women's team. Was that something you enjoyed uh, experiencing together? Yeah, I mean, it is uh, – <clears throat> it's honestly, you know, soccer. When I met Teresa, um, you know, we both obviously had shared the common interest of playing soccer at a high level. And – no longer, you know, in my, in previous relationships, it was, what are you doing? You know, where are you going? What, you know, I'm going to soccer practice, honey. Okay. You know, like, well, what time are you going to be home? Uh, you know, where are you going this weekend? Well, I have a soccer game, you know? Um, it then became, okay, I'll go to your game. We'll go to training together. Uh, and it, it, our relationship flourished, I think because of the shamrocks, uh, and we're both very fortunate to have that. Um, but, you know, that being said, aside from the, re- you know, it boosting and helping my relationship thrive, um, you know, it's when I had the opportunity to come over and try out for the Shamrocks, uh, it honestly changed my point of view on, you know, uh, club soccer in the New York City. Um, it's, it's an organization that uh, takes care of its players. Uh, they have a social atmosphere as well. And, you know, they're really competing in probably the uh, most difficult league in, um, you know, on the East Coast in the United States. So it's it covers all of the um, all of the dots that you'd want in a soccer program or a club. Excuse me. Now we um, obviously it's, you know, it's kind of well documented that the kind of the top league in the men's that we compete in, that there would be you know, four or five, maybe even six at this point, clubs that would pay their players. We, we have a model where we don't pay anyone, but we give them that social experience. 
you know, if anything happens to them in terms of health, we always try and help. If they need work, we try and open up our database to them, things like that. Where do you stand with amateur players getting paid, obviously getting paid kind of under the table as such? Um, where do you stand with that? It's not really a level playing field, but um, yeah, what's your opinion on that? That's tough. So I, I've been, uh, before I moved to the Shamrocks, uh, you know, I, I was always offered spots to play uh, for, you know, a, a few dollars here and there uh, at some clubs. And I always turned it down because I always felt as if it changed the dynamic on the team where uh, it then became a question of, well, you know, how much are you getting, Zach? You know, uh, you know, and you didn't feel comfortable sharing that with your teammates. Um, and it, it kind of, to me, it tears apart that team camaraderie, that positive atmosphere. Um, and you mentioned it before where it kind of puts everybody on the same, you know, same play, uh, same playing field. You know, um, when you play against these guys that are getting paid, it, it's a totally different mindset. Um, and, you know, even now I, I would still turn down money uh, as opposed to, you know, a truly, you know, club family atmosphere. Uh, just because I, th- I think it changes the way you approach the game uh, and you look at it. We're really, you know, soccer is something that I love and I want it to be part of my life um, until the day I die. Uh, but I think once money starts getting involved, it changes people and it, it can really, I think, corrupt a, a relationship or even a, uh, a, an entire club. Yeah, and we, we obviously enjoy the challenge of competing against these clubs with these great players. I don't begrudge the players for getting a few dollars. Mm-hmm. It's just not the model that we have. And I think a great example actually, you know, was your wedding. You know, you got married recently up in Vermont and there must have been 20 Shamrocks people up there because we've become so exactly. close. I mean, that personally, that was a great experience for me. I, I presume that was something nice for you and your wife in terms of being able to invite people from a club you love up to your wedding. Yes, uh, that for me, that was one of the highlights of being able to, you know, you have all of these people where you share this common interest with, and, you know, you're able to develop these relationships, uh, both on the field and off the field, uh, you know, and a lot of it is, you know, people from different countries and different cultures. So you're learning lots about a lot, you know, lots about people that you might not have ever had a chance to interact with. Yeah, brilliant. And then just lastly, because we're running out of time here, um, we've got the Shamrocks have the big game coming up. Uh, the Manchester United Legends are playing our Legends June 22nd. I know you're obviously on the committee as well in the Shamrocks. So a lot of work behind the scenes, correct? And, and exciting times. Yeah, it's huge. Uh, it's uh, something that's never been done here in the US and obviously by, by our club as well. So it's a huge honor that we're able to put this on. It's going to be a totally professional event from uh, start to end. And, you know, I'm truly looking forward to it. And I know that there's a lot of people that are very excited uh, that are, you know, going to participate and just coming to watch. Uh, It's truly, you know, a unique opportunity that, uh, you know, who knows if we'll ever get a chance to do something like this again. Yeah, brilliant, Zach. I really appreciate you coming on the show. It's been great talking to you and we'll talk soon. Of course. Speak to you soon. The Hairdryer Treatment Podcast is proudly sponsored by Rezzle. 
Rezzle is the market-leading, academically validated VR training and cognitive development tool for elite football and is already installed at world-leading clubs. Rezzle.com